You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Praise God for the living hope we have today. Because the tomb is empty. Thank you, worship team. You can be seated. As you're seated, if you would, grab your Bibles. Look with me to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We come to the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. You can... Take the sermon notes there if you'd like to follow along. How many of you love comeback stories? Like where there's no possibility of a victory, where there's absolutely, like all of the odds are stacked against someone, yet the tables turn and somehow what appears to be defeat is turned to victory. Man, I love those kind of stories. They stir excitement, they stir energy, they, they stir faith within us. I mean, stories like... The story of Walt Disney. How many of you are familiar with that name? Walt Disney. Early on in Walt's career, there was one of his authorities who told him this line, you have absolutely no good ideas. Can you imagine that? You know the rest of the story. Uh, Walt like, never gave up on his dream and created this character today that we know as Mickey Mouse. And as a result of that, there's some $98 billion industry uh, built around Disney World. Uh, here, here's another great turnaround story. In the early 60s, there was a young man who was attending Bob Jones University, and it was there that the authority himself, Bob Jones, told this young man, he says, you, you'll never amount to anything to preach the gospel. Want to guess who that man was? Dr. Billy Graham. <laughs> How many of you know that's a bit of a turnaround story? Or the turnaround story of, of Michael Jordan, one of the great um, athletes um, ever to play the game. When he was a sophomore in high school, five foot eleven, he was rejected from the varsity team, and he was told this: "You're not tall enough to play the game." How many of you, how many of you are glad he, he didn't believe that lie or buy into that line? I mean, he went on to uh, lead the Chicago Bulls to six national championships. You know, maybe one of the what's now being billed as one of the greatest comeback in sports history is what happened last weekend at Augusta, Georgia. As Tiger Woods uh, won the uh, Masters there in Augusta, Georgia, along with unfortunate personal marriage issues, back injuries took their toll by May 2016. Tiger Woods, the great golfer, had actually fallen out of the top 500. 18 months later, he was 1,193rd. I didn't even know they ranked them that low, but that's where he had come to. After healing from a spinal fusion, he became competitive again in 2018, securing his first tournament win in more than five years, a five-year drought. Last weekend, he returned to Augusta, where it all began for a great comeback, for a, rever- for a reversal, for a victory. Now, as, as amazing as all these comeback stories are, I believe that none, none compare to what happened on Resurrection Morning. I think it's the greatest, the absolute greatest comeback story of all times. I mean, Jesus had been beaten, rejected, and crucified. They took his lifeless body. They laid it in a borrowed tomb. To secure the tomb, not only was it sealed, but some soldiers were posted to guard the tomb. And you know, that's an impossible assignment. They were posted to guard the tomb because the religious leaders were afraid that Jesus' followers, his disciples, would come and steal the body. But all the strategies of hell and the plans of man could not stop the resurrection. We have this comeback story, this great reversal. Out of the jaws of defeat, suddenly there was stunning and life-changing victory. Jesus transformed the cross and the tomb from a memory of defeat to a memorial of victory. What appeared to be the end was actually the beginning. 
What appeared to be a hopeless situation with the disciples became a place of hope. And what's interesting for me, down through the years, there have been numerous scholars who've set out to disprove the resurrection. Like it's just a farce. Obviously it couldn't happen. Obviously when someone's dead for three days, they don't get up out of the grave. They set out to disprove the resurrection. What's interesting is as they gathered all of the facts, they actually moved from being doubters to believers. They actually moved from trying to disprove the resurrection. They came to a place where they said, we can't deny it. Obviously, Jesus got up out of the grave. And the resurrection is not merely important to historic Christian faith. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It's the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. And the founder of every other major religion died and was buried, and that was it. End of the story. What we know to be true of Jesus is, is he died, he was buried, and on the third day, he was resurrected to life. His place of death actually became a place of victory. Today, you can actually travel to the Holy Land. I've been there numerous times. You can go to the very site where Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb. And I've been in there numerous times, and I can tell you it's empty today. Why? Because Jesus got up from the grave. Come on. Can I get an amen on that? But he resurrected on the third day. Well, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter would have been a firsthand eyewitness to that of Jesus' resurrection. He was the one who denied Christ. He was there when Christ was crucified. Not only that, he had interaction with, numerous times, before Jesus ascended to the Father, he had interaction with Jesus. So, 50 days after the crucifixion, we have the day of Pentecost. What happens in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And because of the supernatural phenomenon of what was happening on the day of Pentecost, a large crowd of people gathered just to kind of check out what's happening. Like, wow, this is pretty, pretty crazy, pretty wild. I mean, when wild things happen, crowds gather, right? So there's this large crowd that's gathered, and Peter says, well, I think I need to tell them the Jesus story. I need to tell them, I need to share with them my, my own experience of what I saw, what I experienced, and how it's changed my life. And so as we come to Acts chapter 2, what we actually have here, and what we're going to read this morning, is a portion of Peter's story. Again, this is not something he's heard about that he's telling others. This is something that he's actually seen, something that he's experienced. Again, now he's telling his story. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. The text is on the screen. You can follow along. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited... By God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. I mean, you know, Peter's like in their face right now, right? He's saying, hey, you were the ones. You were the ones who were part of this. You were the ones who helped put him on the cross. But it didn't end there, verse 24, but God... But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. David said this about him. So now at this point in Peter's sermon, he's pulling in a prophetic statement that King David made. So King David had made this statement, recorded for us in the Old Testament, that Peter is now bringing into his sermon. 
Verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now Peter, back to his sermon, says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. So again, Peter's not talking about something he's heard about, something he's experienced. And here he begins to share with the crowd this great reversal. The great reversal was you killed him, but he couldn't stay in the grave. He got up victorious. There was this comeback story. What we see revealed in in Peter's statement is three things. First is this, man had a plan, but God trumped it. Turn, Turn to your neighbor and say, God trumped it. What was man's plan? The religious leaders wanted to take Jesus out. He was a threat to them. He was a threat to their religious order. So they went to the, to the Roman government, the very oppressive government that was taking advantage of them, and they concocted this story where the innocent one, Jesus, would be crucified. But it didn't end there. On the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. How many of you know, man had a plan, but God trumped it. Secondly, Satan had a strategy, but God defeated it. What was Satan's strategy? Really simple. He wanted to end the plan of redemption. He wanted to end the plan of salvation that God had set in order. What what he didn't know is that his plan was going to backfire on him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says this, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross, through the cross. So what appeared, the cross appeared to be an instrument of death, but it really made way for victory. Here's the third statement, death appeared to be the end, but God reversed it. Like victory was, was snatched from defeat. Although the religious leaders asked Pilate for a group of soldiers to guard the tomb and they had it sealed, on the third day Jesus made a comeback and it's forever changed history. So today the resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical fact. It is a proven historical fact. I could take the rest of our time this morning and I could give you statement after statement that would be proof of the, living res- uh, the, proof of the resurrection. But more important than that, and what I want to conclude with this morning, is I want to talk with you about what the resurrection means for us. Because it's one thing to know that Jesus got up from the grave, but it's another thing to know, okay, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for my family? What does that mean as I'm processing life and the reality of this world? Four statements. The first is this. The resurrection is proof that God can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. Tragedy to triumph. For the disciples, they had left everything to follow Jesus. Because of the authority of his teaching, because of the miracles that he performed, they were absolutely convinced that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the Son of God. I mean, how many of you know, you don't leave 
everything you own. You don't leave your business. You don't walk away from that unless you have some conviction, right? When the disciples were absolutely convinced that this was the Messiah, that he was going to overthrow the Roman rule and create a rule of peace for the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And they wanted to be a part of that. Their plan was to rule with Jesus. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to be ruined by the Roman soldiers. What they experienced was tragedy. Their hopes was dashed. They couldn't understand if this was the Son of God, if this was truly the Messiah, how could this happen? How could he be crucified? How could he die on the cross? They were confused. They were overwhelmed with grief. But on the third day, on the third day, Jesus, he like reversed their tragedy and he turned it to triumph. As the resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples, he showed them the nail prints in his hands. He showed them the wound that had been in his side. Where there had been death, now there was life. Where there had been defeat, it was turned to victory. Where there, where there had been no hope, Jesus brought hope all because of the resurrection. You know, when we come to places of tragedy in our lives, and it happens. I mean, tragedy happens in our world today. Tragedy happens for people who really love Jesus, like the disciples. Tragedy like the loss of a loved one that brings deep sorrow and grief. Or maybe tragedy that comes like with the loss of a job and you're wondering like, how in the world am I going to provide for the family? Or maybe tragedy that comes when you, when you get the report from the doctor that's like out of right field and it was not what you were expecting to hear. And the diagnosis is not good. And you're, you're, you're dealing with this tragedy. Or maybe there's a betrayal by a friend. That's a tragic it's a tragic experience. And what I would want you to know today is what the resurrection tells us is that God can bring triumph out of the tragedy of our lives. In John 16, 33, Jesus said these words on the screen. So would you read this with me? Let's read this together. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think we could say here where Jesus spoke, I think we could put in here the word tragedy. In this world you will have tragedy and it's the reality but notice jesus didn't end the statement there what did he say but take heart i've overcome the world how did jesus overcome the world he got up on the third day and because of that well we can have tragedy i mean we have triumph in the midst of our tragedies i've seen this up close and personal the past three years three years ago uh my dad had a stroke. And my dad was a, a farmer, a full-time farmer, and a part-time pastor, bivocational pastor. Pastored the same church for four years. Very active, hard worker, every day from sunup to sundown, out working on the farm. Until, until three years ago, he had a stroke. And the stroke um, disabled his physical body. Good news today, his mind's still sharp. But he no longer spends his days outside. He spends most of his days in a recliner in the front room. And what I've seen happen over the past three years is I've seen God bring triumph out of that tragedy. Today I see it so much different. Because this, this is what's happened. I've watched my dad turn his recliner into a place of intercession in a pulpit. A place of prayer in a pulpit. Every day... He's up early, he begins his day in the Word, and then he goes into prayer for me, for my family, for our larger family, 
for our community, the community in which he resides and for our world. He's turned the recliner into a place of intercession. And he's also turned his recliner into a pulpit. My parents have countless people flow through their home um, every day. I mean, it's amazing how many folks make it through my parents' house. And there's not a single person that comes into our home or in my parents' home that doesn't hear the gospel message. Out of his tragedy, my dad is sharing the triumph. I I believe that's the reality that can happen in all of our lives. Because of the resurrection, God can take those places of tragedy that you might have, and he can bring triumph in and through those. I also believe today that the resurrection is proof that God can take impossibilities and turn them to places of opportunity. Impossibilities in our lives. You know, as a lifeless body of Jesus was taken off the cross and laid in the tomb, it seemed like it was all over to the disciples. Because death is the end, right? When life goes out of someone's body, it's like we say, wow, their life is over. So it, it... it seemed like the cross and the, and the tomb where, where Jesus' body was laid and the tomb was sealed. It seemed like a, a place of impossibility. God, it's amazing how God turned that impossibility to a, a place of opportunity. And I think that's why the resurrection gives us hope today. Again, it's so much more than just a historical fact. It makes this statement that all things are possible with God. There's a phrase that you won't find in God's vocabulary, and the phrase is this, no way. This is what I know about our God. Our God is the God of reversal. Our God is the God of comeback. Our God is the God who can take places of impossibility, places of difficulty, hard places, and turn them to places of opportunity. That's what he's doing for my friend, Pastor Luke. I want you to listen as Luke tells his own story. My name is Luke, and I find myself living in the middle of a miracle. Uh, Last summer, I went to my doctor, Dr. Michael Thomas, just a routine over 50 checkup. He found something that he was concerned about. He was concerned about some some masses in my stomach, and uh, I tried to convince him that they were just the tacos I had eaten the night before. He didn't go for that. He insisted that I get it tested. And uh, on July 9th, 2018, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So when we were diagnosed, we decided to fight. So we gave our, the tumors a name, the belly bully. And we decided that we were going to, to beat them up. And uh, we, we cried and we prayed and we cried more. And I didn't ask why. I didn't ask why because why is a question that is quicksand. It just, just leaves you sinking in a million other questions. So I asked God, what, what now? Okay, we're dealing with this. What do we do, Lord? And uh, he just said, show them how to fight with joy. Show the people how to fight with joy. So that's what I've been trying to do. I didn't know how hard that would be. But I also, uh, I've come to realize that uh, it's just a, a matter of just 
focusing, changing your focus and realizing and just the way I live and, and what I choose to focus on, what I choose to talk about. There's joy in the little things. There's joy in my granddaughter's giggle. There's joy in, in a cup of soup. There's joy in the little things. Uh, but, but the ultimate joy comes through Christ. And you just help people see that. You help people find their joy wherever they can find it until they can find it in the arms of, of their, their Heavenly Father. That's the wild thing is, is just sitting in the infusion chair. Uh, you meet a lot of people and they're all hurting and they're all suffering. And uh, you just try to give them hope. You just try to let them know that they are not the disease. Don't let it define them. That, that they are loved. And even in the midst of all of it, even in the midst of all the pain, there is joy and there is great hope and there is a reason to keep fighting. My friend is um, still in this battle, but he's fighting with joy. Because of the hope of the resurrection, you heard Luke say, I'm in the middle of a miracle. He's facing an impossibility where, to be honest, we the doctors are saying today, we don't know what to do. Even they've made this statement, there's no hope. Yet in the midst of facing this impossibility, Pastor Luke is turning it to an opportunity to share hope and life with others who are going through the same struggle he's going through. His place of impossibility, it's, it's being turned actually to a place of opportunity. I, mean, I believe that's the hope that the resurrection gives us today. So as you come to places of human impossibility and, and places where you have no solution, know that nothing is beyond God's ability. If God raised Jesus from the dead, and he did, then he's able to do all things. He can take your place of impossibility and turn it to a place of opportunity. Here's the third third proof that the resurrection gives us today. It proves that God can take what others meant for our harm and turn it for our good. What others meant for harm and turn it for our good. How many of you know that the religious leaders in Jesus' day and the Roman soldiers wanted to do some harm? They were not listen, they were not playing patty cake with Jesus. They abused him. They beat him. They took a cat of nine tails, as the scripture would tell us, and strapped Jesus to a post, a beating post, where they they ravaged his body. Talking about bringing harm. I mean, they they wanted Jesus eliminated. Yet out of the harm, how many know out of the harm of the cross, God brought good, the good of the empty tomb. Out of the harm of the cross, God's brought salvation for mankind. Out of the destruction of the cross, God's brought salvation for all, for all who would believe. And God can bring good out of the bad. He can, he can take that what, which others meant for harm in your life and turn it for good. 
Now, I wish it wasn't so, but it is. In life, others are going to hurt you. It is a reality. Listen, we're living in a world and we're processing life with a bunch of folks who are messed up like ourselves. You're doing life with people who have issues if you haven't figured that out yet. You work with them. Maybe you go to school with them. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Maybe they're in your house. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's intentional. People come at at you. Whether they want to harm you. They want to inflict injury on you. And this is what I would want you to know today. Because of the resurrection, this is what it tells us. Is that God can take what others meant for harm, for injury, for hurt. And he can actually turn it for your good. He did for Joseph. You get time, read Joseph's story in the book of Genesis chapter 37. His brothers betrayed him. His brothers uh, sold him into slavery. His brothers wanted rid of him. They inflicted harm on that of their own flesh and blood. And there came a time as the tables were turned because God turned what they intended for bad to to good that Joseph went to his own brothers. In Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, this is what Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for harm. God's turn for good. And I think the resurrection is proof of that. That God can take injury and turn it for good. We see this in the story. Maybe you'll remember October the 2nd, 2006. There was a man by the name of Charles Robert. Charles Roberts IV that entered a little schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. A deranged man who went on an assignment and his assignment was to harm. His assignment was to injure others and he did. Had several guns as he went into the schoolhouse, murdered five innocent schoolgirls, injured another five in this little community. And what's interesting, what's interesting in this story, and I believe this is all because of the resurrection, there was a community of people within this, within this uh, Amish community, there was a group of people who had come to embrace that of the resurrected Savior. They had experienced the power of the resurrection in their own lives. So what did they do that very day? There were a group of men from the Amish community that showed up at Amy Roberts' house, who was the wife of Charles. And they came offering forgiveness and they brought food for their family. Not only that, five days later, five days later, when the murder, when Robert Charles was buried... There were 75 individuals who gathered at the memorial service. Over half of those were Amish, were individuals from the Amish community. Many of them had buried their own daughters the day before. The result of this tragedy, this crisis that came for this little community, as the news went out across the United States, many people responded sending money to this Amish community to help them in the midst of their tragedy, to help them rebuild, to help them turn the situation around. You know what? The folks in this Amish community did. They took some of that money and they gave it to Amy Roberts for her family. Talking about radical generosity. The Amish community's act of forgiveness and generosity changed the storyline coming out of this little community of nickel mines. Instead of the nickel mines tragedy, media outlets began to speak of the nickel mine miracle. Why? Because there were a group of people in this Amish community who had experienced Jesus. And now they were just living. They had experienced the resurrection. 
and the hope and the life and the grace and the forgiveness. And now they were living that out. And God took what was, what was meant for, for, for harm and he turned it for good. And this is what I'm confident of today, is God can do the same in your life. Those places of injury, those places of hurt, those places of harm. God has the ability to turn it for your good, for your benefit. That's what the resurrection tells us. Lastly, I think the resurrection is also proof that God can take death and turn it to life. Death to life. Listen, Jesus didn't just faint on the cross. He died. Dead. Life went out of his body. Matter of fact, as as the Gospel of John, and John writes of this story, he says that the soldiers came to hasten the death process of the crucifixion. And they did that by breaking the legs of those who were hanging on the cross so they could not push up to get air. So basically, they would suffocate. When they came to the first seat, they broke his legs. They came to Jesus, Scripture says that he was already dead. Therefore, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced his side. And the Scripture says suddenly there was this outflow of of water and blood. Well, Jesus didn't just faint death. He was dead. He was placed in in a borrowed tomb. But that wasn't the end. God turned death to life. And what we know is on the third day, Jesus arose victorious over death. So today, today, what does it mean for us? Today, we can trade death for life. We can go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive in Christ. Now, hopefully, hopefully no one's physically dead in the house today. Matter of fact, look to your left and right, in front of you, behind you. Don't wake them up if they're asleep. But let's make sure. Is everyone alive? Everyone's still breathing. That's good news. So in the house today, no one's physically dead, but possibly, possibly there's individuals here today who are spiritually dead. Maybe I could say it like this. You're a dead man walking. Or a dead woman walking. Because the scripture tells us this. And until someone embraces that of God's provision through Christ, the cross and the empty tomb, the crucifixion and the resurrection, until someone embraces Christ as their Savior, they're spiritually dead. They can be physically alive, still moving, heart's still breathing, uh, heart's still beating, they're still breathing, they're physically alive, but spiritually dead. See, until you receive Christ as your Savior, you are without, you're without hope. You've not embraced both the abundant life and eternal life that, that can be yours. If you, were, if you were to die, you would be eternally separated from God forever. Why? You're spiritually dead. But here's the good news. You don't have to stay spiritually dead. Listen to how the scripture reads. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It's on the screen. So would you read this with me? Let's read this together. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The good news today is this. We can trade death for life. Because Jesus died and arose victorious. 
See, Jesus died physically so that we don't have to die spiritually. This past week, this past week I conducted two funerals for two men, a part of our church family. As you can imagine, there was um, grief, there was sorrow, there was a heartbreak. It was great grief because great love was shared by family, friends, community. We cried, we laughed, we shared about their lives. But in the midst of their physical death, the reality of their physical death, there was great hope. Why was there hope in the midst of their death? Because even though they physically died, they were spiritually alive. And what we believe is that the moment they took their last breath, the moment their heart stopped beating, they transitioned from this life to a place called heaven, into the very presence of Jesus. Why? Because they were spiritually alive. The good news, the good news for us today as again, we can trade death for life because of God's grace for us. What does that mean? It means you don't have to earn it. It means you don't have to work for it. It means you don't have to be good enough to receive it. But it's God's gift. It's called the gift of salvation, the gift of life. So what, how do you receive that? It's really this simple. You believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who was crucified and resurrected. And secondly, You make a decision. You make a decision to move from dead to alive. You make a decision to receive Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. Again, it's as simple as admitting, believing, receiving. So if you're here today and you're spiritually dead, here's the good news. You don't have to stay there. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to move from being dead to alive. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. For your great love for us, for God so loved the world that you sent your Son to die that we might live. And we thank you not only for the cross, but for the empty tomb. Lord, the cross would mean nothing for us today if Jesus was still in the ground. But the very fact, God, that you raised your Son from the dead, where death was defeated, means this, that we can trade death for life. And we're grateful for that this morning. We're grateful that in the tragedies of our life, we can experience triumph because of your provision for us. With every head bowed and eye closed, possibly you're here this morning and you're a dead man walking. Or you're a dead woman walking. Physically you're alive, that's good news. But spiritually you're dead, that's bad news. And here's the good news this morning. Again, you can trade death for life. It's as simple as this. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you were crucified. That you died in my place. That you were resurrected on the third day. I put my trust in you. With that simple acknowledgement, with that simple prayer of deciding to become a follower of Jesus, again, today, you can move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Saying God loves you outrageously. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. But for every individual, you have to embrace, you have to embrace the plan. So this morning, I, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. 
you're here today and you say, I want to go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just hold it up just for a minute until I can see it and acknowledge it. And I want to pray with you, pray for you. You're here today and say, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually dead. I'm a spiritually dead woman. I want to trade spiritual death for spiritual life. I see that hand. Thank you. To my left. In the balcony on the main floor. If one into it, see one over here on my right. If there's a couple, anyone else. I want to trade, I want to trade death for life. Thank you for that hand. In the balcony, is there anyone? Hey, today, today I want to trade death for life. Today I want to embrace the provision of Jesus Christ. Three individuals so far, anyone else, before we pray, just really quick, I, I, I want to trade death for life. Would you join me as we pray with these individuals, three individuals who raised their hand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying that I might live. Thank you for getting up from the grave on the third day. I acknowledge my need of you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Today, I'm trading death for life. I choose Lord Jesus to follow you. One more thing as heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I talked about how God can take tragedy and turn it to triumph. Maybe you're in a place today, a relationship, a situation, a financial situation. Maybe there's a, a point of, of, of need in your health that you would identify. Here's a, here's a tragedy. Here's an impossibility. I want to pray with you that God will turn that tragedy to triumph. That God will turn that place of impossibility to a place of opportunity. If that's you, just raise your hand really quick. Lord, I pray today for my friends throughout this building who have hands lifted. God, today we believe in the power of the resurrection. Today we believe, God, that what you did, you're still doing. God, you're still working miracles. Lord, just as it was the miracle of the resurrection, so we believe today, God, that you're still in the miracle working business. And God, I don't know what folks are facing, what tragedy or what, what, what impossibility, but God, I pray there today that you would bring your provision, that you would bring your power, God, that you would reveal your greatness in that point and place of need in their lives. God, that you would bring a reversal. A comeback as you did, as you resurrected our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the third day. Now we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.